Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast Holiday Special. It's a Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Jason. So today we're going to talk about the rise of Skywalker, the uh, the ninth Star Wars film in the Skywalker uh, saga. And the final chapter. Yeah. If you believe what they're currently telling us. Uh, so before that, I, I saw a great Christmas Day video on your Twitter feed uh, with your little boy unwrapping... The Lego Death Star. Yeah, um, Santa was very uh, kind to brought us a joint uh, Christmas present, uh, uh, which is Lego Death Star, and uh, that's going to be great fun to build over the next couple of weeks. We've not opened it yet. With he's, he's obviously been busy with far too many of yeah. the other toys, but uh, it's a case of like when we get that on, I'll probably do the same as what I did with the. Millennium Falcon built last uh, earlier this year, uh, which was a Christmas present last year by my girlfriend. Is uh, I'll put it up as a twin uh, pinned tweet uh, so like people can see the progress as we build it. It looks absolutely brilliant. Uh, how does it compare to the Falcon in terms of number of parts and things like that? Is I think it's only about five thousand pieces. Right. When I say only, <laughs> um, the Falcon was seven and a half thousand pieces. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, but you get a lot more um, characters with this one. You get twenty-five uh, Lego characters, uh, a mixture of obviously the ones from A New Hope, mm-hmm. but also you get the ones from uh, Return of the Jedi as well, because uh, part of the Death Star has the Emperor's throne room, so you can kind of like do both uh, films that feature a Death Star. Oh, cool. uh, in certain areas. Cool. Has he got those little droids, the uh, the little um, kind of box ones that roll along? The mouse droids. Is that what they're called? Yeah, uh, I've not actually seen if it has. Uh, it would be cool if it does. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, that'll be a great project. I'll, I'll look forward to following that on your Twitter feed. I'll, uh, I'll let everybody know when it obviously it's, uh, it's up and running. Uh, and then if you ever come to dismantle it, you can recreate the scene from The Rise of Skywalker uh, with the sort of ru- <laughs> ruined uh, Emperor's throne room and everything with the uh, with the hidden compartment. Yeah, with the uh, hidden, like, um, like room, secret room with the, the Sith Wayfinder uh, that, like, leads the way to Exegon, where uh, El- Emperor Palpatine has returned. Yeah, so having seen him in the in the trailers, it seemed like uh, well, yeah, Palpatine's back. But we're straight into it, aren't we? It's in the opening crawl that everybody's heard this transmission from Palpatine, um, and then you've got Kylo Ren is immediately going to find him like that. Yeah, uh, the the dead speak, uh, which is obviously is how the crawl starts, and it's. It's almost like Palpatine's got his own podcast that he's broadcasting out <laughs> to the, uh, the galaxy. Welcome to the Sith podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously it, it, it doesn't waste any time. It jumps straight into the plot. Uh, this one is, um, I think from what I've read, roughly set a year after The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a bit of a small time jump, not the usual time jump of like about three years that we normally get with most Star Wars films. 
Uh, but I thought it was a nice little Easter egg that the first planet that we see, where Kylo Ren goes to to find this Sith Wayfinder, which is kind of like a Sith holocron, it's, a, it's a, like a hidden map that will lead him to uh, the resurrected clone Emperor. I think it's kind of like hinted that he's, he's a clone. Uh, is the planet Mustafar, where obviously his grandfather uh, was technically um, created and, and resided. I didn't pick up on that at all. Right. Yeah. I think the use of like the trees and stuff on there kind of like throws people, but when you actually see it a second time, you can see that it is the same planet, and obviously there are like huge lava pits everywhere so it's kind of like just another area of the planet and obviously he's fighting these kind of like people who must be protecting uh the whereabouts of the sith holocron so nobody can like actually find uh, where the emperor is mm. so you've seen it twice then yeah yeah i have only seen it once so far but i i am tempted to go back i feel like you'd, you'd like like that you would there's a lot that you would pick up on a second viewing i guess yeah, I mean, the thing that I noticed, obviously, when I first saw it is because, like you said, it, it literally hits the ground running straight away. And it kind of really doesn't let up for that two and a, nearly two and a half hours, does it? Mm. It's literally bam, 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 action piece, action piece, bit of exposition, action piece, action piece, right till the very end. Uh, it's probably one of the most action-packed Star Wars films I think we've ever got. Yeah. Um, and what I kind of, like, came out of, you came... You come out of that first show in a little bit like breathless, thinking, "My God, what a ride!" But you know, it could have needed some areas like where it slows down. You give the plot time to breathe. You give like a little character moments, and mm. it's only when I watched it the second time that you actually kind of like notice that. But I think on that first viewing, you're that bombarded with so much stuff that you don't notice the quiet moments. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. Um, I came out with the same sort of feeling as The Force Awakens of uh, of just coming out on a real high. Uh, I thought it, was, thought it was terrific. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't the uh, coming out of the cinema like at the end of the last Jedi like I uh, yeah. <laughs> did that time. Yeah, I think I mean, we'll probably talk about Last Jedi. I mean, I I know I enjoyed it a lot more than you did. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you you, can, you come out of it with the buzz that you do from the other Star Wars movies, because it is a lot more downbeat and, you know, the heroes are, are kind of roundly beaten at every turn, aren't they? they uh, their, their plans constantly fail throughout the film. Um, and I think we talked about this at the time. I, at the time, what, what I, I came out of it kind of satisfied, but, but maybe not like kind of buzzing like that. Um, yeah. And I think where we were in 2017, it, it, it spoke of... You know, Trump had won the U.S. presidential election, and and the, um, the the Leave side had won the EU referendum in this country. Um, that there was there was something there in that feeling of uh, you know uh, of losing, and then how you cope with that, and how you sort of keep keep a bit of hope alive. Um, and the thing that they they walk back, I think, in this movie was the idea that you know Luke Skywalker had, had you know turned his back on the Jedi's, and that. that there maybe was another way that wasn't just Jedi or Sith, and I think everything's become so polarized. Uh, you know that maybe that was kind of a quite attractive idea as well that you didn't need to be one extreme or the other. That um, that there was some other way. Um, but it, the first thing kind of Luke says in this movie is basically, "Oh, I was wrong." 
Yeah. It's um, Jedi I'm, or Sith. There's nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of speculation that, you know, um, there was this thing, and obviously it does come from the Star Wars canon that uh, there can be grey Jedi who, uh, you know, can control both the light side and the dark side and obviously use both aspects to their advantage, you know, and, and still, like, you know, not give in to the dark side, you know, and keep it at bay. I think Darth Reaven was one of the uh, ones from the early, like, uh, established canon who uh, turned to the dark side but then learned to use it to his advantage and to the benefit of himself and then actually became reverted back to being a Jedi. So, mm-hmm. um yeah, so it is there, and I think there was a lot of speculation around the time of like, Last Jedi that Ray was going to be the first of a new series of grey Jedi who would use both aspects of the Force, um, you know, and not, like, give in to either the dark side or not just use the light side. So I can see what Johnson was trying to do, mm. but as you say, there's an awful lot of backtracking in yeah. this film. <laughs> And if you believe a lot of the internet rumours, there's a lot of stuff that's posted on there. Um, I know we, we know from a Simon Pegg and a Daisy Ridley interview from shortly after The Last Jedi came out that he, he wasn't happy with Johnson's explanation of where Ray had come from because he had plans for that. And mm. obviously that's backtracked hugely in this uh, Rise of Skywalker film. But yeah. there's other bits as well, isn't it, where it's kind of like, nope, nope, we'll ignore that. The holdover manoeuvre where your lights be through um, spaceships. No, you can't really do that. It's a one in a million chance of it paying off. And, yeah, there's a lot of things where it's like, yeah, I didn't like that, so therefore I'm retconning it yeah. as well. It did remind me the the way that uh, when Kylo Ren says, uh, you know, I told you your parents were nobodies, but they became nobodies, it did remind me of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original one, having told Luke that Darth Vader... Uh, betrayed and killed his father that actually yeah. he was his father and it's that sort of it was the truth from a certain point of view idea um, which which always made me think that in the first film you didn't have uh, you know that it wasn't the intention that Darth Vader was going to be Luke's father no um, and it, that so that felt quite authentic in a way because it reminded me of uh, it reminded me of that little bit of retconning as well yeah uh, and there is a line where um, I think um Kylo does actually say they chose to be nobodies in this one. So it, yeah. it is kind of like, like you say, the tradition of what Ben Kenobi tells Luke from a certain point of view in Return mm. of the Jedi. It is kind of like keeping that tradition. It's like they chose to be nobodies because of their lineage and they chose to like hide you away from your, you know, spoilers, uh, grandfather and yeah. Palpatine because of, you know, what we knew that you would could potentially become yeah i i did mean to mention at the start that there'll be spoilers in this so I, i'll make sure it's in the show notes uh and on twitter before anybody downloads it i'm sure nobody's yeah, gonna kind of gone straight in there <laughs> i'm sure nobody's gonna listen if they haven't seen the movie but i'll um i'll, I'll put warnings all over it basically uh, there's always one so yeah <laughs> so yeah ray is is emperor palpatine's granddaughter which I totally didn't see coming. Even even after she'd used force lightning to bring down that um, that transport ship, I just thought, well, that's a dark side uh, f- uh, trait that she she's tapped into. I still yeah. didn't think, oh yeah, she's going to be 
Palpatine's granddaughter, which it taps into the sort of the Darth Vader thing of you don't think of him, you know, watching uh, A New Hope and stuff for the first time, you don't think of him as a man who has had a family, and you, you don't think of the Emperor like that either. Um, no, which no. Which made me wonder, where, <laughs> when did he have the family? Presumably while he was the uh, Supreme Chancellor, before his fight with Mace Windu when his face all melted, um, I'm guessing. But it is odd to think of him still, uh, you know, kind of conducting all these machinations <laughs> behind the scenes and then going home to a wife and kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as in like, uh, excuse me, darling, I'm just going into the bathroom for a minute. I need to make a uh, quick transmission. I'm putting yeah. on his dark, sidious hood and going like <laughs> dark ball and then a knock on the door saying, darling, what are you up to? No, no, it's all right, darling. I'll be out in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, just manipulating the uh, the trade negotiations from afar and things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose the other thing with that is, um, which kind of like with the prequel trilogy as well, um, it shows what a short time span all of this has has um, taken place over. Because uh, in, in the the very first film, you've got Obi Wan Kenobi saying, you know, for a thousand generations, the the Jedi uh, helped to bring peace and justice to the galaxy, and then in the um, in, in such a short space of time that the the Jedi um, have uh, have been wiped out, the Empire rose, fell, the New Order's risen. Um, and, and it's all within you know kind of a human lifetime, really, isn't it? Or, or not much more than a human lifetime. Yeah, I mean, I've got the uh, one of the books I got for Christmas was the uh, Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary, and and oh, what cool. they used to do with the Star Wars books is they used to either set everything from either before or after the the Battle of Yavin, like in, in the first Star Wars film in Episode Four, and what they've now done is is they've kind of like changed it, and now it's the Battle of Crate, which was in the Last Jedi, and now they've worked back the the time span from that, and I think it's roughly about 62 years, I think, from yeah. the events of The Phantom Menace that then lead into, like, The Rise of Skywalker. So, like you say, it is effectively, like, um, you know, a generation. Yeah, in, in terms of, uh, yeah, after a thousand generations, it's kind of a blip, isn't it? Which, you know, like like I guess we hope we're going through at the moment with the... Um the rise of the far right sort of thing. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, it's a blip in a general upward trend of, um, of human progress. Uh, yeah, and I know, obviously, a lot, a lot of people and a lot of older Star Wars fans are kind of like, well, you know, when the prequels first started being uh, released, we're on about the whole inconsistencies that, like, were arisen. And that, you know, all George Lucas said it was like, you know, um, more than, like, just 20-odd years ago that, you know, the Jedi were in charge, or it's implied by Obi Wan's speech that it was longer. And but when you actually think about it, and you think about kind of like what Lucas was intending, um, and obviously look at history in general, because a lot of it he does draw on history to make that allegory. He's like, if you look at Nazi Germany and how much they basically got rid of art, they got rid of anything that was against them. And it's kind of like similar to what the Empire did. As soon as they took control of the Republic, they virtually wiped the the Jedi out from existence and obviously from memory. And it's it's easy how you know, and, and you know, we see it in this day and age, like how much people forget about things. Mm. You know, that only happened 10, 20, 
30 years ago. Mm. And, you know, I loved the way that that was kind of highlighted in, like, films like Rogue One, where you saw on the planet of Jeddah, where the, the Jedi statues have been collapsed and fallen, you know, because obviously the Empire was just wiping out any trace or, you know, kind of hints of, like, you know, that, that the Jedi ever existed. So they were kind of, like, creating this own myth to, like, you know, make sure that people just didn't believe in it. Yeah, that they, they, yeah, they, they were they seemed more established than they were. Yeah, because thinking about this, the Force Awakens, there's there's doubt in the minds of sort of um, Finn and Ray as to whether Luke Skywalker and the Force are even just legends, aren't they? I think it's because uh, Han Solo gets that great line where he says it, it was all real. Uh, you know, yeah, it really it, happened. It, yeah, it's true. It's it, all of it, and obviously that comes from a character who in the and the new hope is like, you know, I've seen a lot of strange things in this galaxy, but, you know, no ancient, like, hokey religion is ever in charge of everything. And obviously mm. how his mindset and how it's been changed through his association and friendship and experience with with Luke, you know, that he has actually had his eyes opened and realised that the Force is real and that, you know, it does contribute to all things. So that's a nice little character progression that they did there. Because I think he's even standing in the same place um, aboard the Falcon when he has yeah. when he says the line, isn't he? Yeah, it's nice that. Um, so yeah, uh, the, so what it made me think of um, with that that you know the, the the characters go from not sure whether not being sure whether all that happened with the rebellion, um, and I guess Ray and then Luke Skywalker appearing um, at the battle at the end of the Last Jedi has. You know, made people believe it all again. Um, yeah. To even, I suppose, know who who Palpatine is, um, and that he could use the Force as well. But it's also, again, it's a nice little hint that to show that the Star Wars galaxy is so huge and vast that you know you're probably looking at you know the the planets that are on like the outer rim, like you know Tatooine and stuff. Like how much they are impacted by either the public being in charge or by the empire taking over the republic they probably it probably didn't mean much to them and therefore they probably never ever came across jedi or very rarely came across like you know the, the might of the empire and stuff mm. like that so it, it's kind of like it, it makes it in that sense that was one of the great things that george lucas did is it makes the universe so much more real it's that lived in look as well that he kind of like honed in the very first film as well that they've continued through uh most of the films yeah that's great and um and just as a diversion i know we've both been watching the documentary on bbc4 uh the the galaxy that britain built um, yeah which it's like um doctor who dvd vam isn't it um of uh, these kind of aging special effects guys and especially in the first one when they had a much smaller budget what they were making the props out of that have become these incredibly iconic items. And the, the lightsaber handle was off an old fashioned camera flash. Yes, uh, it was. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, that was, that's, it's a great documentary and I think it'd still be available on the iPlayer for a while. I'd recommend anybody, uh, go and see it. It's, uh, it's excellent, really excellent. Um, and very, and all, anything like that where you get all clips of the movies and things, it, uh, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, did you be before the the screening of the Rise of Skywalker? I don't know if this was at all screenings or whether it was just a view cinema thing. 
there was like a kind of a short film about the whole saga and was interviewed. Oh with the yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was shown. I mean, obviously, the both occasions that I saw it at two different view cinemas. Right. But I presume it was probably attached to the actual, like, you know, print of, of the film and probably shown in, like, other cinemas like Odeon or Cineworld as well. But, yeah, it was a lovely little kind of, like, what, five-minute kind of, like, mini-movie about, like, how much this, you know, thing has continued and, and touched everybody over, like, the past 42 years. yeah. Um, I thought that was a great way to open it because it really hit all the nostalgia and the the, the great kind of mythic scale of it. Um, and uh, yeah, probably a good way of getting everybody kind of really well disposed <laughs> uh, before going into the movie, wasn't it? Of, of just reminding you how how powerful and the, the, the grand scale of it is. Yeah. Uh, it was really nice. Uh, and because it opens with a clip I'd never seen before, which was a, kind of a behind-the-scenes outtake of um, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, um, Alec Guinness, Alec Guinness and Peter, Peter Mayhew. Yeah, Peter Mayhew was the one I was, I was trying to think of for the end. Yeah, um, Just kind of running through the lines on the on the bridge of the Millennium Falcon or the cockpit. Um, yeah, they're doing a, a quick like camera rehearsal thing, aren't they, before they actually start filming. Yeah, and it's absolutely lovely, and uh, just the camaraderie between them, and the yeah, it's just I'd never ever seen that before. It was excellent. One thing I did notice, <laughs> this is just like a really geeky thing, uh, is like there's a lovely um, shot, and it's from the making of Star Wars documentary of um, Harrison, Carrie, and Mark walking towards the camera, and and Harrison's like in the middle because obviously he's the tallest of of the three. Mm-hmm. He's got their arms around them as they're, they're kind of like talking and having a laugh as they're walking. But what I noticed in the little mini movie before the film is that they've digitally removed Harrison Ford's cigarette in his hand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of like just shows like in this day and age, it's like, oh, well, we can't have uh, footage of one of our actors uh, smoking. Yeah, can't, can't have a role model uh, yeah, kind of displaying that behaviour. That's really interesting, isn't it? So. Spielberg did something, was it um, E.T. where they took the guns out of the, um, it was like the FBI or whatever, the people that come and take E.T. away, he took guns out of the hands and replaced them with walkie-talkies or something like that? Yeah, yeah that was in his uh, special edition that he did. I think it was for the 20th anniversary in 2002, and he said he did it because of, after the events of 9-11, hmm. that he, he felt uncomfortable with these guys having guns and potentially shooting the kids and it's like well that's the whole thing that makes the tension of that scene as they're coming towards the people and they know that they're intending to try and stop them and it makes the moment of E.T. making the bikes fly off into the sky much more magical it's like walkie talkies aren't that threatening really and that comes back to the whole point of um, you know uh, needless tinkering that George Lucas has done with the hand shoots first scene yeah I haven't, you know, I haven't seen this but um, there's a there's a new line isn't there which is given to Greedo yeah um, and it's what is McClunky or something McClunky yeah, yeah. And, and there's no explanation for what it means there's no like <laughs> subtitles for it because the rest of his dialogue subtitled in that scene and again, he's tinkered with it again because he says McClunky and it's almost like they now fire exactly the same time. It's like, just <laughs> change it back to how it was. It, it, 
doesn't affect Han Solo's arc. We know he's a scoundrel. We know he's a pirate. Yeah. You know, the fact that he shoots first without, you know, any questions is whole part of his development so that he gets to the point where at the end of the A New Hope that he comes back, he forsakes the reward and comes back and helps Luke destroy the Death Star. It's like, you don't need to, like, have him still a good character and, yeah. Like Greedo shoot first, then he was doing it in self defense. It just doesn't work. Just just change it back to how it was. And even having seen Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, you know what the consequences of him uh well obviously have been if Greedo had shot and killed him, but even if he'd sort of stunned him or something like that, then turned him over to Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. You can understand why you would want to avoid that in the first place, um, having made, you know, the subsequent movies, so you don't really need to tinker with the first one. Yeah. No, no. I mean, out of all the changes to the special editions that were made, that's the mm. one that kind of just like still rankles me to this day. I yeah. don't mind any of the other minor changes. Um, you know, um, one of these people who's got the the despecialized editions like on a hard drive somewhere that you know mm. you can find on the internet if you know where to look for it. You know, so I can watch either the special editions or the theatrical cuts if I want to. It's but it's kind of like no. When the big, I think it's a 27-disc 4K box set that's due for release next year when the Rise of Skywalker hits, like, home media, you know, that's the perfect point to put the theatrical cuts out, you know, fully restored, stick them on there, have the special editions with them as well. So, you know, you're giving fans the choice and you take away that whole argument that a lot of fans have had, like, since 1997, that Lucas is denying us a piece of our childhood, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think that they'd offer that option, wouldn't you? That's uh, It's like the Doctor Who DVDs, isn't it, where you've got the option of the enhanced special effects or the original versions, you know, people... Uh, yeah, like, I mean, it's a simple to... thing. You know, even... even um, I mean, for years, I mean, because people say, oh, well, George Lucas started this special edition nonsense, but actually it wasn't. It was Steven Spielberg. He was the first guy to do like a special edition of a film. He did the a 1980 re-release of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind with extra special effects at the end. Ah, right. And know. more of the human moments were cut out, so it kept more or less the same running time. But even he's come to his senses, and he's obviously put both cuts of E.T. on, home media so mm. you can choose which one walkie talkies or guns <laughs> and he's put three cuts of close encounters you've got the theatrical version you've got the special edition and then you've got one that combines both you know so you can take your pick and i think that's all that lucas and lucasfilm and disney really need to do just say mm. let's end this argument once and for all let's just just put every version out there for people to choose mm. Come on, George. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. You'll make more money. People will buy it over again. I've already got it twice on bloody Blu-ray, about eight times on DVD and video, so... Yeah. This is it. I think there's, there's, there's Doctor Who, Star Wars, uh, and, and James the James Bond movies are the ones yeah. that I've, I've bought on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. Yeah, that you've uh, double-dipped so many times yeah. that you've just got them in, like, in a cupboard somewhere. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, going that, back to the film anyway. <laughs> yeah, one of, so one of the bits that I've seen sort of various readings of is 
uh, Finn, when he he's going to tell Ray something just before they get sucked underground. Oh yeah. Um, and seeing it a little bit on Twitter and and um, the review in I think it was GQ magazine because I saw somebody linked to it. Uh, and he was saying, well, he stops short of of declaring his feelings for her. But that's not how I read it. I took it to mean because of various other things in the film that what he's trying to tell her is that he has some ability with the force as well, some kind of fledgling ability with the force. Because at the end, when she's dead or dying after a battle with the emperor, he's somewhere else, and he, and he feels it, doesn't and, he? Yeah, and he says Ray, and I thought, yeah. well, that's obviously some kind of something through the force, and it's done in a very similar way to how like Leia kind of like feels Han's death in The Force Awakens and how Yoda is affected hugely by Order 66 in Revenge of the Sith. You know, yeah. it's done in that way where they kind of like stop because they, they've sensed something. Yeah, or, or the Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, even in the first one, wasn't it? it was, oh, yeah, where Alderaan's destroyed, yeah. Yeah, a great many voices cried out in pain and then were silenced, yeah. So I took that to mean that that was what he was trying to get off his chest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's anything like a de- declaration of love. I think they're always best buds. And obviously they've kind of like set Finn up as, well, the last Jedi who's kind of given a kind of love interest with by, with Rose, mm. where they went off on that pointless bloody uh, casino planet like subplot. Um, but then this one, he's given another uh, kind of like, you know, um, semi-love interest in, in Janna, mm. the, uh, uh, another Stormtrooper deserter. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's purely intended, and I think JJ has confirmed it, that it, he was uh, trying to tell Ray that he is experienced, he's Force-sensitive. Right. I, I didn't see that he confirmed it anywhere, but that, that, was, that was the way I read it. Because the other thing I thought in the, in the GQ magazine review, and you obviously don't always agree with reviews, um, yeah. but then sometimes you think, I, I've watched a different film that I've like totally read something different. Um, they had the idea that the, the argument when... Between Ray and Poe Dameron about whether Ray should be going on missions or not, they said oh, it was an attempt to recreate that sort of flirty argument that Han and Leia had in The Empire Strikes Back. And I thought I didn't get that from that scene either. Like, no, I didn't know. I no. saw that as a continuation of Poe, you know, kind of chafing against authority a bit from the Last Jedi, the way he always yeah. thinks he knows best. Um, but but doesn't necessarily always know best, and then the kind of the resolution to that is you know deciding on a joint command with Finn, uh, you know rather than just kind of going off on his own uh, his own ideas, which, which you know don't always work out. Um, yeah, but yeah, you, you kind of like then see a little bit of that towards the end, where obviously you know it's that pivotal moment at the end, the final battle, where you know they're being heavily defeated, and you know. Poe's got that huge self-doubt is I've led all these people to their kind of like deaths. It's mm. kind of a reverse to the opening battle of The Last Jedi where he's very much gung-go and it's like, no, we can destroy the Dreadnought. We can, like, come on, let's all attack it. And he, he kind of like doesn't even feel kind of like guilty for getting all those people killed. But no. here at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, he, he's kind of like, you know, really doubting himself like what have I done I've led all these people to their doom and then obviously you know uh, Lando arrives with a huge fleet of ships and yeah. uh, helps save the day I love that moment Spoilers. and the, the music uh, it, it was like the, the sort of the portal scenes in uh, the uh, Avengers Endgame wasn't it 
It yes. had that same sort of like hairs on the back of your neck, the, mu- the really iconic music swelling to an absolute crescendo, all the ships arriving. Uh, yeah, I think it was terrific. And then I saw somebody on Twitter saying that one of the ships is from the, I can't, was it Rebels, the cartoon series? I haven't really seen yeah. any of these. Yeah, one of the ships is the Ghost, which is the main ship that the uh, team in the cartoon series Rebels had. So right. obviously it means that hopefully some of those characters are still around. Uh, because only uh, Keenan, and again, spoilers, if you've never watched Rebels, Keenan, who's the kind of like Jedi Padawan who escaped Order 66, and he's then kind of like grown up to try and still be a Jedi, but then teaches Ezra, who's the kind of like the, the teenager character in Rebels. He's the one who kind of like dies at the end of Star Wars Rebels, and the rest of the crew manage to survive and go off and do their own separate thing. Some of them joined the Rebellion, um, uh, and obviously some of them don't ref- go and find their own way. But yeah, um, and also a very keen eye. And again, this is, um, if you're a fan of obscure Star Wars video games from the 90s, uh, the Outrider, uh, which is Dash Rendar's um, shit from the video game Shadows of the Empire, is in the background as well. Right. So there's a the little Easter egg for people because... When Disney took over the whole Star Wars uh, rights, they effectively wiped the whole of the what they call the extended universe, the expanded universe. Like they wiped it all from canon to like kind of like wipe the slate clean, and so they could tell new stories. So they weren't kind of like obstructed by things that had already been established. So it's nice to see that back in there because Shadows of the Empire was a, a story that was set between Empire and Jedi. Right. Uh, so it was a video game, it was a comic series, it, it was a toy line, and it was also a novel. And uh, it was I really, really liked Shadows of the Empire. I played it for ages on the N64. So it's nice to see that little Easter egg in there. Yeah, I th- I, the only stuff I've really read, I read those, uh, that Timothy Zahn trilogy of books that's set right after... Return of the Jedi. Yeah, the um, Thrawn trilogy. Yeah. And that's about it, really. I haven't really delved into much. I've seen, like, the odd episode of the Clone Wars and the Rebels. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching The Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, I've Disney seen two episodes of that so far. Of, um, the first one I really enjoyed. The second one was, I was surprised about how much of a, kind of like a filler episode it was, where didn't really advance the plot much and you normally get that in a mid-season episode but mm. um, yeah I think, I'm sure we've all seen the baby Yoda uh, oh yeah <laughs> so he's, he's kind of like turned out to be like the little star and uh, hit the series now yeah and just the star of a thousand memes isn't he it's, uh, it's yeah this huge uh, this huge internet sensation so when is that set from what I understand it's set about five or six years after Return of the Jedi so the some sections of the Empire are still about, mm-hmm. and obviously are still trying to hold on to sections of the galaxy, because in the new established canon, you've got, um, obviously there was the Battle of Endor, and that's where the Emperor perished, and they destroyed the second Death Star, but then obviously what they, the Rebels and the New Republic then did was continue to push the remnants of the Galactic Empire to the outskirts of the galaxy. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the final battle uh, was on Jakku, where obviously you see all the crashed 
Star Destroyers in, in The Force Awakens. Right. And that's one thing I think The Force Awakens didn't kind of really clear up, is that how the First Order came about. Yeah. Yeah, because you assumed it was, uh, I, I guess, yeah, like it was a resurgent empire, but it, it seems from the subsequent films that it wasn't really. Uh, apart from Richard E. Grant's character seemed to have served both. But there's, there's in, in this film, Rise of Skywalker, there's there's some mistrust, isn't there, of, of especially the Emperor um, yeah. uh, and, and the Empire? Yeah, there is, yeah. And obviously General Pride, as I think he's called, um, yeah, he does have that little conference call, doesn't he, with uh, Palpatine? Yeah, it says he served uh, both... Uh, both administrations. Yeah. yeah. So obviously, what they did, they've established is that they kind of like came to an uneasy truce. That the the empire was hugely defeated and signed like a peace treaty with the new republic, and was exiled to like the outer rims of the galaxy, kind of like the Nazi finding exile in South America. You mm. know, like um, a lot of people have you know, speculated uh, that happened after the Second World War. Mm. But then obviously what's happened since then is Snoke, who we obviously find out was being manipulated by Palpatine all along in this film, he's took control of the First Order and kind of like built them up and built them up. And then that's when you start to see them encroach onto the the galaxy and into the, the New Republic like they do at the beginning of The Force Awakens. And that's where this whole like new kind of like war starts right yeah that makes sense yeah. but it is a bit of a fault of the kind of like the, the storytelling that that wasn't really that clear when the force awakens came out and had to be filled in through a lot of like um, spin-off novels and comic books and like um you know visual dictionaries where you mm. had to actually like look up that kind of information yeah yeah, because it, it seems like Snoke was a clone, doesn't it? There's um, when uh, when Ren arrives um, on the on the planet where Palpatine is. It's like there's a tank with some Snokes in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's two of them in yeah. like this like tank in there, kind of like some um, distorted and and twisted. Yeah, like he had a couple of goes at it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because obviously the whole, like, you talk about the whole um, expanded universe that they did, you know, after Return of the Jedi came out and how that got kind of wiped from the canon. It's like they've they've taken the idea of Palpatine cloning himself and those clones not really lasting that long because when we get to see him, he's kind of like rotting away again, isn't he? And that, yeah. that's the whole plot point that was taken from a comic book series called Dark Empire in the early 90s. Right. Oh, I didn't really, I didn't take it to mean that um I didn't read it that Palpatine was a clone in this. I thought he'd kind of used a mixture of uh, you know the unnatural sort of dark side you know holding back death things uh, and technology in the same way that uh, you know Anakin had been turned into Darth Vader because he's sort of like hooked up to that crane arm isn't he that uh, Yeah, that kind of like kind of like floats him around, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it's because one of the characters, is it Dom, Dominic Monaghan, who's in the film, mm. kind of like mentions that, oh, he's, you know, it's a mixture of Sith magic and cloning. Ah, right. 
So um, I, I took it to be like that. And he does say that his essence passes from his Sith essence passes from body to body. So I took it that he's been cloning himself over and over, and now he needs to do this final thing with Ray so he can, yeah, in effect, go into Ray and then rule the galaxy from there. And she takes her rightful place on the throne. Right. Yeah, that makes sense then. Uh, and put yeah, and then again, you've seen it twice, so you've picked up on more <laughs> more lines. Than <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I thought um, the bit with C three PO, I really liked in this when they they had to wipe his memory in order that he could read the the Sith language on the blade. Um, and then they sort of said, well, you know, R two D 2s um, you know, uses R two D two to back up his memory, but it's a bit unreliable. Yeah, I loved that the humour that came from that was was really good, but then I thought because he had his memory wiped at the end of episode three, I thought maybe he was going to have everything restored so that he would remember Anakin building him and uh, you know all his origins uh, being built on on Tatooine. Yeah, uh, they didn't go that way, but I thought ah oh, that's what they're setting up there. So I was fully fully expecting that he would go. Oh yeah, actually, I knew all along that. Um, well, maybe not. You know, <laughs> maybe not actually reveal all this, but you know, say, but kind of, we would know that he'd realised that he knew that um, Darth Vader was Luke's father all along, but he yeah. had his memory wiped. Um, but then R two D two knew it all and um, didn't let on, did he? So <laughs> no, no, R two D two keeps. Uh, he's got to keep it secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I was really uh, nice that uh, Anthony Daniels got a really good like kind of like subplot and yeah. a lot of things because I do find that that you know C-3PO and R2-D2 have kind of like been sidelined a bit in this trilogy yeah um, I mean obviously it's no fault of R2-D2 because he was in low power mode for most of The Force Awakens and only like wakes up at the end mm. uh, to put in the missing piece of the map to, to Luke but you know, he had a little bit of a moment with Luke in The Last Jedi, but um, yeah, it was nice that they actually gave him a, a you know, a more substantial bit of the plot this time, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Respectively, um, he's been in all, all nine movies, hasn't he? You know, and he, he's been there from the beginning, so it's nice that, uh, you know, that they've given that to him. I remember when I met Anthony Daniels back in 2005 at a, a signing, and um, it was just before Revenge of the Sith came out mm. and he mentioned it and said it was very nice that George had given him the first line of dialogue in the very first Star Wars film, which is obviously episode four, mm. and that he'd given him the very last line of dialogue in what the last ever Star Wars film, which at the time was episode three, you know, mm. because he does it, you know, he has the whole like when he's been told his memory's wiped and it's like the oh no and then after that there's no dialogue at all in the rest of the film. Right. Um, but obviously George Lucas then since changed his mind and then started tinkering about like coming up with a new trilogy in 2011 before he sold it to Disney. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, he's also in uh, Rogue One, isn't he? Uh, yes. Really, really and he's in Solo as well, apparently. But I've not spotted him. Apparently he's on uh, the Kessel Mines. He's one of the uh, the guards, apparently. Ah, right. Oh, I mean, cause I, see, I, mean, I was thinking C-3PO's very briefly in, in Rogue One. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anthony, Anthony Daniels is somebody else. Yeah, cause yeah Anthony Daniels is somebody else in Solo. And I, he also plays another... He's in one of, he's in the bar scene as well as himself 
in uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I was trying to think. Along that was... with Armored Best. Yeah, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Yes. Ah, right. Yeah, no, I was I was pleased that he had um, he had a bigger role, and I guess um, the uh, you know the fact that you know the actor's still alive is the original R two D two, whose name has just briefly escaped me. Danny Baker. Danny Baker, which uh, he you know sadly passed away. So there's I guess there's less of a, a performance you know there to you know to honour by putting him in a bit more. Yeah. Um, but no, it was great. And then the the as it. Babu Frick is that the guy that wipes his memory? Yeah, that's the, the little guy. Yeah, he, he's become a bit of a, a meme sensation as well, hasn't he? He was excellent, and it really, it really reminded me of all you know some of the brilliant sort of like Jim Henson stuff that you've had in the in the earlier movies that they they infuse them with so much character. Um, but he's he's great in that scene, um, and then later on when. Um, they mention him and C-3PO goes, he's one of my oldest friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then right at the end when he pops up in the cockpit um, with the Power Ranger lady. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, Zora Flynn or whatever she was called or something. Yeah, I, I felt like I really recognised her voice, but I, I keep meaning to look up who the actress was. It was Kerry Russell. I don't think I know that. I'd probably recognise her. She, I mean, I, 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 she, you might know her, um, she's the agent in the beginning of Mission Impossible 3, who, um, Oh, with the bomb in her brain. Yeah, the bomb in her brain, yeah, but she's, um, she's got a long relationship with J.J. Abrams, because when he first got his first break in television, she was the star of Felicity, which was his first TV series that he got, uh, made. Right. So he's kind of like put her in stuff, um, you know, all along. So he gave her a role in this film, which I think was nice. And obviously she gets an action figure out of it and, uh, yeah. you know, she doesn't get to show her face. So she doesn't get typecast in stuff like this. So, yeah, it's a nice yeah. little uh, Easter egg for J.J. Abrams. Uh, fan. And for J.J. Abrams, it's uh, Greg, Greg Grunberg, I think he's called. Yeah, as um, Snap Wexley, the uh, X-Men pilot. Yeah, he's. Um, I've seen this before that um, uh, Jay James considers him his good luck charm and, and basically puts him in everything. Uh, so, because he was a character in Alias, which was a probably the first Jay James thing I ever saw. Yeah, I used to love Alias. Yeah, he was really good. He was he was great in that. And then I think in the first Star Trek film that Jay James directed, he's the voice of Kirk's father or stepfather, who's. Who's calling him when he's stolen the car? You know, he's, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. He's the voice of his stepfather, isn't he? Yeah, his stepfather, obviously. Yeah, because Thor's his dad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, um, and then he's he's the pilot in Lost, I think, um, who's only in like one episode. Uh, and yeah, and he's, he's been in Mission Impossible and all kinds of stuff like that as well. So it's like he consistently he's good luck charm and, and he pops some different things. But this is, um, I think he's in the Force Awakens, isn't he? But this is a much bigger role. He is, yeah. He's in more scenes um, here. But he's, ab- he's absent in the Last Jedi, so kind of like, uh, and apparently, I think they've done a kind of a spin-off comic book that he was off on another mission at the time, like of the event, so he wasn't uh, around, uh, and that's why you don't see him like in the Last Jedi. Yeah, and, and also nice to see um, Dennis Lawson. Yeah, now this was one of the rare spoilers that I'd actually come across because uh, I think he'd confirmed it to somebody, and then obviously it got traction, and um, 
then obviously spiralled off into the internet and Twitter and stuff. So it was one of the rare things that I'd actually come across that he'd um, agreed to come back. And so I was looking forward to a bit more of a wedge and then mm. literally he's in it for for about two seconds with one line. Yeah, because I know he's Ewan McGregor's uncle, isn't he? In real he life, is, yeah. Obviously. Um, but I, I kind of got the impression that he... He doesn't really like talk about Star Wars, or he's not particularly enamoured with it. I, th- I think he's he's one of those actors that he thinks he's kind of like very much how Alec Guinness got to like towards the end of his like career. He's because it was such a success. Mm. He felt that it kind of like took the shine away from his other more popular, more acclaimed work. Right. So I think there is that that. Dennis Lawson, I think certainly in the early 2000s and stuff, was a bit snooty towards Star Wars. But he's uh, a lot of people said that he refused to appear in The Force Awakens. Right. Uh, he turned them down. But um, he actually has since like um, clarified that he, he would have loved to have done it, but he was actually doing another job at the time and they couldn't work the dates out. So I think he's kind of like mellowed in his own old age towards the, uh, the franchise. Yeah. Ah, oh, good. I'm pleased. Yeah, and the other thing was... You've not done what Alec Guinness did once anyway, yeah. who, um, who once told a small boy that um, he'll sign an autograph for him if he never watches Star Wars <laughs> ever again. I remember that, because he, he, he said he, the little kid told Alec Guinness, I've seen it 20 times or something, didn't he? Yeah, or, or something like, I, I watch it every single day or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's harsh. Yeah, very harsh. And I thought Matt Smith had been announced for this movie, so I was looking out for him all the way through. But well, think... yeah, there's been a lot of rumours about that since the film came out, because I remember that announcement where they said that Matt Smith was going to be in the cast. And um, there's a lot of kind of like rumours that he was either going to be playing a younger Palpatine clone ah. or Palpatine's son, or there's kind of like since... Um, it came out that there was a lot of reshoots um, running up to October of this year. Um, that a lot speculation is saying that he was actually going to be playing a character from the Clone Wars, who was powerful on the dark side, called the Son of Mortis, and that's who the dagger is belongs to apparently. Uh, and that he was actually going to be the main villain of the film until they then decided to bring back Ian McDiarmid as Palpatine. Now, I've not seen this confirmed anywhere or whether he actually, like, filmed any footage or not and then he's since been cut out. But that's the current rumour that's going around on the internet at the moment that he was actually going to be being um, the son of Mortis who was going to be the major dark side villain. But it doesn't kind of, like, fit in with the the plot that we got. So whether or not it was just going to be a cameo or not, I don't know. Yeah, that's a shame. Because uh, remember, he obviously got um, it was announced he was in that Terminator movie, and then he's only in it for about twenty seconds, isn't he? Yeah, because he, it, I think it, it was announced that he'd signed a free picture deal at the time that Terminator Genesis came out, and uh, he doesn't seem to be having a lot of luck starting in big franchises, no. does he? No, I think it was somebody was saying about the, uh, the. I've lost track of the Terminators, but the most recent one was it Dark. Fate. Dark Fate, yeah, that's yeah. that's the one that I haven't seen. Yeah, me neither, but it's like the third one in a row that's uh, intended to be the first in a new trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> and completely, like, bombed because, like... 
Yeah, you've got a trilogy of first parts now that uh, <laughs> never that lead nowhere. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, but we've got Richard E. Grant, who is is kind of a, a Doctor Who, um, and just looks like he was just born to play an emperor, uh, an Empire officer, doesn't he? Oh yeah, of course he does. Yeah, and he does such a good job, and uh, uh, I, I like his little bit of um, you know kind of like chemistry that he has with Dominic Gleeson, who yes. Um, I think he's a lot better in this film than what he was in the previous two. I think the previous two, he was a bit too over-hammy. Yeah, um, he's very arch, uh, wasn't he? Yeah, very, very. Uh, but I, he seems to rein it in a bit in this one. Mm. And then obviously he's revealed as the uh, the spy who's leaking uh, information out to the resistance and gets his comeuppance at the end. Yeah, so he wasn't in it a lot, but it was nice that he got that that twist and then it wasn't even to help uh the resistance <laughs> it was just because he hates kyle yeah. Ren so <laughs> yeah my enemy's enemy uh kind of idea wasn't it yeah um, yeah but he's obviously because he seemed like he was very high ranking uh in the previous films as well so obviously his um his career hasn't been great since since kylo ren took over as supreme leader yeah so i think he's obviously been demoted a bit and yeah. then that's why he won't <laughs> Uh, Richard E. Grant's character has come in and took over the fleet and then obviously he's resentful of that and thinks that if he gets rid of Kylo Ren he can perhaps move back up to being supreme uh, leader yeah so what did you think of the Knights of Ren finally making a proper full-blown appearance yeah I thought they were cool they they, you know they looked really good Um, I think they needed to probably been established earlier in the series properly yeah, to, to, to have a bit more impact, um, you know, if you'd seen maybe some of their faces and uh, got a bit more background about them. Uh, but of course, for one movie, they they set them up as as uh, as quite kind of tough, uh, kind of evil looking. Uh, so you know that um, that Ren's got a bit of a fight on his hands when he has to uh, to to get through them all at the end. Yeah, I mean, they do carry on that Star Wars tradition of uh, like a cool-looking villain who doesn't really do much, like Boba Fett and Captain yeah. Phasma. <laughs> yeah, and cool masks and cool weapons, and uh, that's all you need, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and obviously we haven't talked about um, Ben's redemption. Oh, yes. How did you feel that worked? Uh, I thought it worked very well. I mean, it kind of like, I think it was obvious that it was going to come. Mm. Um, and I, I did like, obviously, how they worked its way around it, obviously, with um, Leia reaching out to him. And, you know, he, he did get that kind of like full character arc because he, 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 since The Force Awakens, he's been very conflicted. You know, yeah. he's been literally trying to struggle instead of the dark side taking him over it's been the light side so it's kind of like a twist on Anakin in a way isn't it mm. his grandfather of like because Anakin was very much like the dark side you know he was fighting against the dark side but this with Kylo it's established that it's the other way around and that's what's conflicting him and that's what Snoke was teasing him for like in The Last Jedi and saying that, you know, you're killing your father almost broke your spirit, you know, and you're no good to me anymore, get rid of the mask. And mm. So I like the fact that, you know, he kind of like fears that he needs to put the mask back on and he 
they fixed it, didn't they, at the beginning of the film? Yeah. And that needs to like strike that fear again. And then obviously he's got that whole conflicted um, feelings towards Ray and that, you know, I offered you my hand once, you know, and I genuinely meant it, you know, we can do this. Um, but yeah, the appearance by Harrison Ford as Han Solo was a, a nice little touch. Mm. That was a total surprise. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. No, no. Uh, I think you only expect the Jedi to come back as Force Ghosts, don't you? Yeah, well, there's the line of dialogue, isn't it? It's saying, you're not really here, you're just my memory. And yeah. it's almost as if he's, instead of having that scene where he's talking to himself or where he's kind of like, you just see him brooding, it's good mm. that they actually have Harrison Ford there who's kind of like the other side of Ben's persona. He's like saying, no, it's Kylo who's dead now. You've come back, and you need yeah. to go and help Ray. Now, I, I thought that was very well done. Yeah, and the mirroring of the the bit on the bridge in the Force Awakens, uh, yeah, with the dialogue kind of being repeated with "I know what I have to do, but I need help." And yeah, I, th- I thought it was really, really effective. Um, and obviously, the fact that his link with Leia is what killed her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was the best way they could have done it. Um, I think, like you say, it was always on the cards. I think because. You've got in the original trilogy the you know that if somebody else can sense that there's still good in them, that they can come back from it. Um, and his eyes never turned red, did they? Like Anakin, um, no. Which um, don't know why did his eyes turn red when he uh, when he went to the dark side? Why why, why was it only? Him? I've always wondered that. I mean, it's a great image in in Revenge of the Sith when he yeah. turns to the camera and his eyes are like. Uh, like Sith-like, but it's never really fully explained, no. is it? <laughs> but obviously we got Palpatine, Palpatine when he restored himself like by sucking out the life essences of um, Ben and, and Rey uh, in that final battle. But his eyes then like went Sith-like, didn't they? Like mm. to show that he'd fully restored his body. Yeah. I like the way there's that... Um, we talked before about the hidden chamber in Palpatine's throne room on the old Death Star. It's never, I mean, it could be, in, I guess, in the spin-off stuff, but the fact there's those little sort of pockets where there's the dark side, so like the cave um, on Dagobah, and then even yeah. on Luke's Island, there was that sort of cave underneath the island, and then it seemed like Oh, that, yeah, that where Ray dived well. into, yeah. Yeah, that, that there's just these, these areas that... Um, I guess the the Jedi live near or or create somehow. Um, I like that. It's, it's 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 really. I like the fact it's not explained why they're there, why Jedi live near them, or whether a Jedi living there somehow creates it or, or whatever. It's uh, it's a nice little idea um, and touched upon there. It's where you know where the visions because that's where she has the vision of um, a sort of Sith version of Rey trying to call yeah with the, the double uh, yeah. lightsaber. Mm. Um, but is, it, is that explained anywhere else in the, in the books or anything? I quite like it. Um, it it's, well, it's been established that obviously one of the reasons why Yoda chose Dagobah is because the planet itself was kind of like strong in the, the dark side of the Force and that that's where there was an abandoned Sith temple, which you don't really see much of it. You only really see its entrance, but that's where Luke does have his vision. He enters the Sith temple and that's where he has that kind of like that, you know, duel with the vision of Darth Vader where it reveals his face in Darth Vader's mask so 
you know, it's almost kind of like hinting to you, this is what you are bound to become. Um, right. So that's, that was... that's really a bit of canon that I've actually seen regarding that. That's yeah. Yoda was so strong that he thought the ideal hiding place was to be on a planet that was very strong in the dark side, so they would never find him. Uh, I never got that. I thought that was just a cave. I didn't realize it was yeah, part of the Yeah, that was as a Sith temple in, in uh, some of the spin-off media, yeah. Right. Uh, right, got you. But going back to, obviously, if we're talking about Dagobah, and obviously mm. that leads us to Jedi training, I thought the flashback of uh, Luke training Leia was very well done. Yeah, yeah, it was really, it was nice, wasn't it? Um, and a nice little like hint at like the world building that they did. Um, it's like the Lando when he was talking about his adventures with Luke on on the planet where they were trying to find the uh, that dagger, and he said, "Oh yeah, we had an adventure here." You know, me and Luke were trying to find it. And it's like I love those little hints of like what happened between movies, and I thought that whole scene of Luke training Leia mm. and her sensing that. You know, her son would die or go to the dark side. Her unborn son would go to the dark side. Is why she then turned her back on mm. to be a full Jedi. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I thought the same thing about the like that and the Lando thing. That the, yeah, those characters you know did live on and have many adventures before uh, you know before they all split up, I guess, and yeah. you know years before the Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, and in terms of how they they put Carrie Fisher into the movie, yeah, um, I wasn't expecting her to be in it as much as she was because I think it, it's all sort of unused footage, isn't it, from uh, the, the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi? Yeah, um, most of it is from the Force Awakens, and there's actually quite a couple of the the deleted scenes that they use are actually on one of the Force Awakens Blu-ray. Uh, I think it's on the three disc collector's edition. Ah, right. uh, Certainly the bit where she says about, you know, never underestimate a droid, and that's actually a scene where she's talking to one of the subordinates in the briefing room, um, like halfway through The Force Awakens. But, yeah, I was blown over about just how much footage they'd used Mm. and how well they integrated it into the film. Yeah. Yeah, because they'd obviously written whole scenes of dialogue around what they had, so it seemed like uh, the characters were, in, were interacting with Leia. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'd expected to maybe get two or three scenes at the most, um, but it was it was really good. Because I think that was the original plan, I think Jay James has said, wasn't it? it was The first film was kind of Han Solo, it was the main old character, then Luke Skywalker in the second one, and then Leia uh, was going to be kind of front and centre a bit in this one. Um, yeah, that's so true, yeah. Tragically, they couldn't do that. Um, but no, yeah. I, I thought it was, and it was a, the perfect way to write her character out as well. The way they did it, um, you know, it worked with. Even in the Force Awakens, she does have. Oh no, in the Last Jedi, isn't it where she has that little bit of a psychic link with Ben? Yes, and he fires at her ship. Uh, that it, um, yeah, that, that that was already established and and, and made sense in the wider the wider context of the, the storyline. Yeah, and obviously like she chose that pivotal moment to try and like bring him back from the dark side and, and mm. obviously then that sets up the like the final uh, you know part of the film. So, you know, she's pivotal to the plot. I mean I was always worried when they said that she was gonna be in the film or we used the lead footage is that 
you know, she would be in, but she'd be a peripheral character and not really involved much and just, like you say, you know, one or two scenes. Mm. And then that's, that's it, you know. So it was really, really just amazing how much they'd, you know, integrated her in there, you know. And, and, and again, a wonderful tribute to a wonderful lady. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, yeah, Lando coming back was, uh, was terrific. Always nice to see Lando. Yeah. Uh, and that seemed like the the last line that he had with um, with the character that was the other former stormtrooper that had rebelled. Yeah, with Janna. Yeah, and, and um, she says, I don't know where I'm from. And he says, oh, well, let's find out, shall we? Uh, that yeah. seemed like maybe there's going to be some continuation for, for her or... Well, going into that, obviously, um, I was, I've been reading the, the visual dictionary over the like you know last couple of days of you know uh, that I got for Christmas, and there's a line of dialogue on the Lando page that says, uh, and I'll quote it here, and I presume it's deleted dialogue from the script that they cut out of the film, and his line is, "The First Order went after us, leaders from the old wars. They took our kids." So I think that kind of like bit of dialogue, if that had been in there, it's kind of like highly, I think, hinting that Janna is probably his daughter who was abducted at an early age and then like incorporated into the First Order as a stormtrooper. Ah, right. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't get that from the movie at all, but that... Yeah. Uh... So had they kept that line in, I think it would have been perhaps like more of a thing of like, because it's it's obviously it's mentioned in the Force Awakens, isn't it? Where Finn says he was abducted as a child. Yeah, he's never known his family. He he doesn't know what his name is, and his mm. name is FN two one eight seven. You know. Yeah, and that continues the the family themes and the got the next generation of you know, Skywalkers and uh, yeah Calrissians as well. Then. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, nice. Perhaps there's a Disney Plus spin-off series in yeah. the works, Lando and the Adventures with his daughter. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really good. Yeah, and in terms of wrapping up, I think we obviously it comes full circle with with Ray going to live on Tatooine uh, in the old farmstead that Luke was brought up on. Yeah, um, I thought we'd get to see you know what happens to Finn and Poe and and some of the other characters. Uh, I know you, you know you drag these things out too much, kind of you know, um, uh, Return of the King style. But oh yeah, um, but it would have been you know maybe just a kind of a bit of a montage of uh, of what everybody uh, was up to. It didn't uh, it didn't feel like the story was over in that sense for for the characters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, obviously, at the end of um, Return of the Jedi, which is the original conclusion, you just get a scene of them all partying together yeah you know with the ewoks at the end and obviously then the iris white cuts in and obviously you know the star wars music starts but yeah i see what you mean um and obviously at the end of revenge of the sith it's kind of like it ends with you know luke being delivered to you know uncle owen and now peru um, yeah. but I, I thought it was a nice little touch that the fact that you know you've got that twin son's uh, sunset again mm. and obviously 
you know, Ray looking out into, you know, the distance as Luke did, you know, wondering what adventures are ahead of her. And now she's kind of like inherited or chosen to inherit the name. Yeah. Because she certainly couldn't go around the galaxy as uh, Ray Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she'd uh, get many people signed up to be uh, a Jedi in a new academy. Yeah. And, uh, and nice the way that, that sort of BB-8 um, looked like the two sons uh, when they were sort of overlapping a little bit. Um, him being two circles, it was a nice. Um, well, that was deliberate or not, I guess. But the uh, I didn't even spot that. I, yeah. I just wondered what, why the hell Poe would let BB-8 like wander off with Ray, or almost like you know he's gifted him to her. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of like was expecting perhaps like a scene with Lando going off with Chewie, and that you know Lando finally gets his shit his old shit back. I thought that might have been a nice little scene to, yeah. you know, end that as they, they sail off. But like you say, I think this film, because it's, it's that tightly compact, you know, that it runs at such a pace that I think you do run the danger, don't you, of putting too many endings in mm-hmm. there and it becoming like a bit laborious, like <laughs> the return of the yeah. game. <laughs> yeah. It just it should have been somewhere in between, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, it's, it's always very nostalgic, like seeing that, that farm again, isn't it? The, the, the moisture farm. Um, it's, uh, although, I mean, that's a bit of a kind of a tough life for her to choose for herself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think she necessarily was choosing it. I think she was yeah. just going back to like where it probably all began for the Skywalkers and kind of like just paying homage because she's, she buries the two lightsabers, doesn't she? Yeah, and I she just... created her own. So she, we know it's the first appearance in uh, the films, anyway, of a yellow lightsaber. Yeah, I took it to mean she was going to live there. I don't know why. Um... No, no, I think she was just going there to like kind of like bury the, um, you know, the, the sabers, and then mm. like say, well, this is where they they're from, and and then she was going to go off on her own adventures. I do think they missed the trick though at the end. Because obviously they've been going on about how much this is the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. It's the end of the nine-part series. Mm. I love the fact that they had the Force Ghosts of Luke and Leia at the end. Yeah. But if you're doing the full, proper conclusion of a Skywalker saga, it would have been a nice touch to have Anakin and Ben next to them as Force Ghosts. So. Yeah. Because then you've got the whole of the, you know, actual Skywalker Jedi lineage there. Mm. So I, I do think they missed the trick by not having those two. And I know that Hayden Christensen came back to record some dialogue, as did most of the other uh, Jedi. Yeah, and I thought we might see them at that point as well. I yeah, thought maybe we'd see some some Force ghosts, uh, you know, encouraging her to get back up. Uh, you know, sort of Yoda and Mace Windu and uh, Qui Gon and all these sort, and Obi Wan and, yeah. and, and Anakin, yeah. But and uh, but yeah, we just got vocal cameos instead, didn't we? Mm. Uh, which was but, good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, if you're a big follower of the, the spin-off media, there was quite a few of them from the the Clone Wars cartoon, and also Ahsoka Tano, who was one of the main characters. Uh, in the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, her voice was heard there, and some of the other um, Jedi from the prequels as well. So they did a really like good job of um, like you know linking it all together. 
Right. Yeah, and that's good. That the, there's those kind of Easter eggs that don't detract. Uh, you know, like for me, I'm not really familiar with those. Yeah. Um, but but like you say, for for people that followed everything, it's um, yeah, it's a nice little kind of kick when you uh, when you pick up on that sort of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, they're not shoehorned in. Like if you're a fan, you notice them, and if you're not a fan, they just go over your head. And I think those are the best kind of like references and like kind of like in jokes that you can have. It's, otherwise, you kind of like go down a Doctor Who in the mid '80s, like yeah. you know, cul-de-sac <laughs> where you know your whole stories are built from continuity from 20 years previously, and just confused like the general audience. Yeah. Yeah, before even the era of home video, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, I thought it was uh, uh, a brilliant film to uh, to end the saga. Loads of loads of links, like say, to, to all the previous movies, um, plus enough new stuff, as I say, like I thought um, Babu Frick was great. Um, little droid Dio was another cool little design for a droid. Yeah, voiced by J.J. Abrams as well. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realise that, right. Yeah, yeah, he did the voice for Dio, yeah. Cool. Yeah, but like, again, like a nice little design, uh, and like you say, it's that kind of beat-up, used look for technology in that universe as well. Uh, I'm sure yeah, and it kind of like continues like that Star Wars ethos that, you know, that we've seen. Um, and obviously the Mandalorian's continuing that. I think the... The, the forthcoming Cassian and uh, K2SO Rogue One prequel series will continue that, that whole like used universe thing. So Right, I haven't even heard about that one. I know there's um, there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series coming, isn't there, with Ewan McGregor? Yes, there is. And I think that's obviously, that is just going to be adapted from the, the film that they were planning. Yeah. Uh, until Solo bombed at the box office, because originally it was going to be uh, the next... Um, Star Wars anthology film, mm. but I think obviously because they put that on the the backtrack and kind of like said, well, no, we'll just continue on on concentrate on wrapping up the saga and we won't do any spin off movies now. Is that they've now moved it over to television? Right. Ah, uh, right. I wasn't. I wasn't that first. I didn't realise that there was um, that that had been in the works. So, uh, so from here, the, I'm right in saying that there's. Um, there's another trilogy from uh, Rian Johnson that's in the work, um, and that's the kind well, of like the next step. Yeah, it, I think I don't think anybody's any clearer about that at all, and he himself hasn't been very clear. You know, since it was first announced when the Last Jedi came out, um, there's lots of speculation that it's been quietly shelved, just as the um, the creators of Game of Thrones they were doing a trilogy. That their trilogy's been shelved and uh, I think right. I think essentially I think what they're trying to do is the only Star Wars film that we've got coming soon I think is in three years time and that's going to be the one produced by Kevin Fahey from Marvel uh, so because he's been like uh, kind of like recruited on board mm. um, so I, I'll, I'll given the backlash that The Last Jedi had I'd be very surprised if Lucasfilm let Ryan Johnson anywhere near a Star Wars film again. I think that'd be a shame. I, I'd say I, I love the Last Jedi. Um, I loved his take on it. It was just a just a more interesting, intricate look at the universe. 
Uh, it wasn't as, as as black and white, good and evil. I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Canto Bite was where they said like you know this is the where all the rich of the universe like party and because they sell like ammunitions to both sides and that's mm. how they make their money. You know, um, I mean that kind of thing. I don't mind that kind of social commentary in Star Wars because I mean George Lucas himself has alluded, you know, to it certainly in the prequels with um, you know the story of how people willingly give up, um, you know, freedom, you know, and how like easy it is for somebody like Palpatine to take over, you know, yeah. through nefarious means. Um, but there were other aspects of The Last Jedi that, you know, I just didn't fit quite well with me or I think they could have perhaps like just done another draft and knocked it a bit more into shape, you know, um, for me, it takes a huge effort to make a Star Wars space chase boring, but Ryan Johnson succeeded. You know, <laughs> it's like one thing that space chases in Star Wars are, are slow, and <laughs> he produced the slowest space chase with, you know, great aplomb. You know, so that aspect of the kind of like the plot didn't really sit with me. Um, you know, I didn't mind the loot stuff. The loot stuff, I, I get that even though it kind of like doesn't go quite fit well with what J.J. Abrams was intending with the map to Luke Skywalker for somebody to find him, you know, where he then says in The Last Jedi, well, I didn't want to be found. And he's like, well, why leave a map? Yeah. But, you know, so, you know, the one thing I will say about The Last Jedi is that it is beautifully filmed. Mm. It's probably one of the best-looking Star Wars films from my, like, the cinematography point of view. Um, so, I mean, if he was to get another writer involved, like to help him with the storyline and stuff, then, you know, fair, fair play, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing what Ryan Johnson could do with, you know, another aspect of the galaxy and completely new characters. But I don't think what he did with The Last Jedi quite fit with the whole um, plan for the sequel trilogy. And I know they kind of like threw out George Lucas's original ideas. Yeah. But researching this podcast, whilst I was like looking through some of my reference books, like The Art of the Force Awakens, and that has some pre-production artwork from when Lucas was working on his his outlines before mm. he sold it to Disney. And funnily enough, that shows Kira, as the character was called before she was changed to Rey, going to the crashed remains of the second Death Star to find a missing artifact and you know there's aspects of that so it's interesting that J.J. Abrams is kind of like after discarding a lot of the plot points that you know Lucas came up with for episode 9 he's kind of like gone back to the well and gone back to the source yeah. and uh, kind of like as we said earlier, backtracked on what Ryan Johnson has done and retconned it and said, no, well, let's go back to what the original plans were for this trilogy. Yeah, it, it does seem odd that the trilogy wasn't hammered out from the start, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of that, they the made the first one and then said, uh, you know, kind of um, Ryan Johnson you know, you're going to direct the next one. You can do whatever you want. Um, and then we'll just figure out what we're going to do in the third one. Uh, it yeah. feels like, especially when you look at, I suppose, um, like the Marvel franchise and that is plotted out with like five, six years or more in advance. 
Oh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kevin Fahey said, has said like, that they literally have a, like, a huge wall um, from about the success of, I think, was it they... From once they knew that it was starting to be successful and from when Thor and then Captain America came out and they were leading into that first Avengers film, mm. said they basically plotted out the next, like, 20-odd films all on a huge wall somewhere, like, with, like, little post-it notes and pieces of string all linking to each other. You know, so that kind of planning and intricate detail, you know, really can work, you know. And, you know, it's, it's you know, been reported that, you know, Colin Trevorrow, who was the original director for Rise of Skywalker, mm. you know, has, has said in an interview that, you know, he after he saw what Ryan Johnson was doing with the middle part, he said he couldn't really get it, his version of episode nine to work. And he asked for one change to be made. And obviously this is in the light of like things like Carrie Fisher passing away. Mm. Uh, he said like, you need to keep Luke alive because I'm going to make Luke pivotal to my version of episode nine. And apparently, um, you know, Catherine Kennedy and uh, Brian Johnson stuck to their guns and said, no, no, Luke is staying dead. And then that's when Colin Trevorrow kind of went, well, I can't work with that. And uh, he either walked or was fired, in, uh, depending on which rumours you believe. Uh, and then obviously JJ uh, was then like brought back in. Yeah, I mean, for such a huge franchise, it, it feels like an odd way of working. With yeah, the... he's, I mean, you know, by all means, I don't mind. Like, you know, it's, it's great that... Uh, uh, a studio can give that much creative control to, you know, a filmmaker because a mm. lot of these films are, and some of the Marvel films you do feel are, are kind of like made by committee, aren't they? And not really the true director's vision. Mm. But I think when you're dealing with something that is going to tell a story over three films, you really do need to keep to the basic outline that you've plotted out. Yeah. And apparently J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan, when they were writing the scripts for Force Awakens, did plot out eight and nine, you know, and give a rough outline. And apparently Johnson just went completely off track yeah. and did his own thing, you know. And it's like, well, who's in control? Who's, yeah. who's Where does the book stop for somebody to say, well, actually, you can't do that because we need this and this to happen. By all means, still do that, but you've got to change that and this because we need that for the last film hmm. so, yeah there should be a, a Kevin Feige character there shouldn't there I guess who's who's the caretaker of the overall thing yeah. and, and, and keeps it on track yeah and it, it, it's it's amazing how consistent like the like spin off stuff like the cartoons and the comics have been because mm. we've got Dave Filoni who's the guy who's the supervising producer and writer for the cartoons and how much they've been very consistent and obviously he's now um, with John Favreau in charge of The Mandalorian so you know if I was ever to put Star Wars you know under the supervision of some you know people who know what they're doing it, it wouldn't mm. be those two yeah John Favreau because uh, I mean he, a lot of his stuff is fine I mean I love Elf it's like my favourite Christmas movie we watch that every <laughs> Christmas Eve and then the first two Iron Man films um I love, and he's obviously kind of a big deal at Disney, isn't he? Because he's done the the uh, Jungle Book, the Lion King, and yeah, uh, no, he, he's, he's made Mandalorian. some serious money for him, hasn't he? Yeah, um, so yeah, maybe you, you, the person should uh, the person who should be behind or directing, you know, the next uh, next bunch of Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, when it's something that is so kind of culturally significant, yeah, because you know like the Marvel films, uh, people pour over them, don't they? And then you know they, they pull apart any inconsistencies in the in the timeline or anything like that. And and Star Wars even more so has got a huge obsessive fan base. Um, to I think is it I might be getting this wrong. It's called Exquisite Corpse storytelling where you sort of write a bit and then you pass it on to the next person and they do their bit and then it gets passed on um i think i think that's what it's called uh, but yeah it's, it's odd to do a major film franchise in that way isn't it it is yeah but it's kind of like yeah it's the whole thing that you used to do at school when you'd write a paragraph fold it yeah. over and somebody else would then like take it over and you'd end up with a complete mess that was, <laughs> wasn't coherent at all you know um but yeah i mean for all its faults, I still enjoy these films. Mm-hmm. For me, they're still Star Wars. You know, um, you know, they still have enjoyable moments, regardless of like whether you know I don't enjoy quite the whole as a you know episode eight. You know, that will still sit for me as probably you know the worst of the the twelve Star Wars films that we've got so far. Yes, I'm mm. including the Clone Wars. Uh, spin-off movie in that <laughs> it was released theatrically so it does count do you count the Ewok movies uh, no because they were made for television okay <laughs> they just got a release over in the UK because uh, somebody thought they could make a quick book yeah the holiday special but, yeah I, th- I think it's quite good how JJ's just wrapped it up and you know mm. been, you know he has made it a nine part saga yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it takes some doing to you know to correlate it all together like that. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just came out of the, the film uh, as with the Force Awakens, uh, absolutely buzzing. Um, just uh, just some loads of great moments. Your, your favorite characters coming back, new characters that uh, that were absolutely terrific, um, and even just pushing the boundaries. I suppose like. The uh, I think it's new to this one, isn't it? With the the force that that objects can be uh, sort of transferred. I think it's it's it, it, because of the uh, the rare link, isn't it, between Ray and Ben? Yeah. Um, but that's a cool moment where she drops the lightsaber behind her back, and he catches it, and uh, and then he fights the Knights of Ren, doesn't he? he kind of like, and he kind of like shrugs and looks at them like a kind of like as in. Come on then! Yeah, I really did like that moment, and it kind of like showed a little bit of like probably what we will never see of Ben Solo because it's like that was Ben Solo rather than Kylo Ren doing that, as in like you know, yeah, a lightsaber. Come on, guys! The the difference between the two times when he arrives um, at Palpatine's base um it's, it's quite a good way of, of demarking whether he's kylo ren or ben isn't it so, yeah um and i thought that that sort of um i don't know what you call it uh the uh, the sort of zapping of objects um it's like it goes back to the original thing that you know they're retelling fairy tales aren't they where the jedis are wizards well wizards and knights are, i guess combined yeah exactly uh, yeah uh, it, it, it felt like um it really fit with that that idea of them, um, and, and led to some cool cool moments. Because from the trailer, you see that moment where Ray and Ren's lightsabers smash down on the plinth that's holding Darth Vader's burnt out helmet, um, and and from that I thought, oh, they're working together, and yes. there's something hidden in it, or something, or they they sort of destroying the past because that was a bit of a thing in in the Last Jedi, wasn't it? The uh, that Ray kept, uh, Ren kept saying. 
Yeah, kill the, know, ba- kill, kill the past. past. So yeah. I thought it was like him rejecting his his um, his legacy or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so the trailer, the trailer did a good job, I think, of uh, giving you the incorrect um, preconceptions of the film like that. It got, it got your excitement without really giving too much away. Which is quite a rare thing for the trailers these days because yeah. normally they seem to like give away every single yeah. know, thing in a film. Yeah, maybe that's a Disney thing though because some of the Avengers stuff's been really good, hasn't it? In terms of they they put scenes in that aren't in the movie, um, like in Infinity War, they had the Hulk uh, running oh, into battle yeah. um, at, at Wakanda, and then I think the scene for Endgame where they've got the characters in their in their suits um, to to travel back through time, they digitally removed some of them. Yes. Uh, for, yeah. the, for the scene where they're all walking purposefully, uh, you know, towards the uh, the time machine. Uh, and they, I think they also CG'd some of the different suits for when they're all in um, the uh, ship going towards Thanos right at the beginning. And it's like, it's that nice little, like, you know, slight miss, you know, you know, not showing you the full thing, but slightly misleading you in a way. Yeah, I, I think the end game trailers were quite clever, and I think they only showed most of the footage came from like the first twenty minutes of the film. Yes, I think there's only one shot of Ant Man jumping on a pencil. That's actually from the final battle, mm. uh, and they were very clever in, like you say, like you know, putting the Hulk in the Infinity War trailer when he wasn't actually in that final battle, or like hiding Thor's appearance and putting like the actual. Short head for in that walk with the space suits, yeah. And actually, it isn't, it's like fat Lebowski for, yeah. You know? So, it's not that, that nice little sleight of hand that they do for trailers, you know, which uh, you don't really get rarely these days. And the case in point, like the two um, recent trailers for the last two Terminator films have basically given away huge plot spoilers mm. that you know, were you not aware of those you probably would have enjoyed the films a lot more and perhaps they might have just been a little bit more successful. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the thing here was the, uh, I mean, the big surprise was that Palpatine's voice was in the trailer. Um, but once you see the movie, that that's no spoiler because it's, it's in the opening crawl, like you say. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> Palpatine's back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was well played of them, and whether that's kind of part of Disney's wider strategy, it, uh, it, it it's working really well because people. Well, it is it's certainly for them because I think uh, eight out of the last eight of the out of the top ten box office hits this year are Disney films. Mm. So that shows that they've got a huge dominance of the market at the moment, and uh, you know, quite rightly so because if you're putting out you know good content that people actually want to watch, then you know. You deserve that success. Yeah, absolutely. And now they've taken over Fox movies. It gives them the rights to more properties, doesn't it? And obviously, they they've it gives them enough money that they're not reliant on a Star Wars movie every year. They can take the time now, like you say, if there isn't one for three years, they can reassess it. And and if they got bringing um, uh, Paul Feige in, that's the chance to to hopefully kind of uh, take his template from Marvel and, and plot out years in advance. A, you know, a really consistent uh, story and universe. Yeah, because uh, I think if, if one thing they've probably learned from this like set of films is that you really did need to plan a bit more ahead. Uh, mm. So if they're actually now taking the time and taking the break, 
which uh, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, has actually said. He's like, we need to make Star Wars films a bit more of an event because yeah. they're, they're, they're not the same as Marvel films. And I think they made the mistake of assuming that they were going to be the same as Marvel films. That Yeah, but Marvel are telling me a bigger story mm. over a set of 20 films, whereas like Disney's strategy with the Star Wars films was to do, yes, a trilogy of films, but in between have individual you know, just one-off spin-offs. And, you know, as successful as Rogue One was, I think Solo was kind of like a film that not many people were really wanting to ever see the backstory of Han Solo. No. You know, and that's no detriment to the film. I think it's an okay film. You know, it's not the worst Star Wars film, and it's an excitable, you know, adventure, you know. Um, But I don't think it was... No. A good enough story to tell cinematically. Perhaps that is something that they should have saved for perhaps a Disney Plus series or something. You know, yeah. perhaps like concentrate on something else as a spin-off movie, like still make the Obi Wan film as a spin-off hmm. because that one I think would have been a lot more successful. That's the one that people are asking for, isn't it? You want to see yeah. more of if you McGregor's Obi Wan Kenobi, whereas nobody was asking to see anybody other than Harrison Ford play Han Solo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting because obviously you've got Indy 5 currently in pre-production. Mm. Um, and again, I, you know, that has obviously got to be the last film for Indiana Jones starring Harrison Ford because he's, you know, he's getting close to 80 now. As, as, as good as he looks, he looks like he's in his 60s. You know, mm. I don't know how he does it, but, um, but surely, you know, if Disney ever comes to like, do a, a six Indiana Jones film, are they then going to face the kind of like similar, um, kind of like quandary or backlash from fans as in, well, we don't really want to see another actor in this role or mm. is it going to be accepted more like a James Bond character where another actor can portray Indiana Jones? So that's the huge quandary that they're going to be coming up against in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just wish they'd made more when Harrison Ford was younger, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now, obviously, but that would have been the, be- the better solution, I think. Or with the wonders of the de-aging technology that they've got at ILM, they can just yeah. probably be taking Indiana Jones films with Harrison Ford for many yeah. years to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the uh, the Irishman sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, even though that was a bit ropey in some places. Yeah. Uh, Vegas technology just keep getting better and better, won't it? But we know Disney can do it really well from, uh, you know, Michael Douglas in Ant-Man and... Uh, and uh, from uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher in this one, you know, yeah. like that flashback scene. It, it was very brief, but it was still mm. very well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, that, that's probably the way to go. Just get him to record loads of dialogue in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, CGI him. Yeah. Or they could just do what they did with Alec Guinness and sample bits of, like, letters and make him form full words like they did for The Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker where he says Ray. Mm. And he never said that in any film ever. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah that's true. It's one like Harrison Ford that's... Uh, there's many, many hours of dialogue across uh, across a lot of films for him, isn't there? Oh, of course there is, yeah. Not somebody that massively changes his accent for a part, is he? 
No, he isn't. No, or you could even go down the uh, the Peter Cushing uh, CG route like they did for Rogue One. It's mm. uh, the technology opens up a lot of possibilities, but then it also opens a lot of debate about the ethics of it as well. Yeah, definitely. And this is a discussion we had recently, wasn't it, um, with Keith uh, for a Doctor Who podcast about recreating the uh, the Doctor Who's that, that are no longer with us, uh, you know, what the most effective ways are, whether it's recasting or... Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It, it, uh, it's, it's amazing how, like, some topics just, like, link into themselves like yeah. that. If it's anything like Doctor Who, Star Wars, you've got, you've got a huge fan base and there's a huge element of nostalgia, isn't there? That's the... Uh, yeah, you know, that's the thing. As much as I love the new characters in Star Wars, you're seeing Lando again and, and Chewbacca, and uh, that's what that's the uh, that's what you can't replace with the new ones is is that childhood link of seeing yeah. new stuff with the uh, with the characters that you loved as a kid. Uh, so there's yeah, always going to be a huge market for that. And, uh, that era will always be Star Wars to us, you know, regardless mm. of like how many other Star Wars films they make. You know, and you you see it now because obviously um, when the prequels first came out, you know, obviously the older Star Wars fans were around at the time of the original trilogy. You know, myself excluded because I've I've never really had a hate relationship with the prequels. I thought they'd be good, um, but yeah, certain aspects of Star Wars fandom were like, oh my god, you know, and I think yeah. the phrase was they raped my childhood. Yeah. But what you're seeing now, now that we've in the 20th anniversary of the Phantom Menace, is that you've got the people, the kids who grew up with the prequels. For them, it, the prequels are their Star Wars. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. Again, it links into that whole generational thing. You know that you know for us who were brought up on the original trilogy, that is always Star Wars for us. But for this upcoming generation, you know who were kids when they saw episodes one, two, three. That is their Star Wars. And I'm, I mean, you'll probably get that in another 20 years' time with the sequel trilogy as well mm-hmm. and the Disney Plus series. It'll be, that's their Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's a, a great thing. That's a theme, uh, I suppose, of, of this new trilogy, isn't it, of, of, of passing on to the next generation of... Uh, and. Uh, if the character's aging and then you, you're losing them and the torch being passed on as well. Yeah. You know, and then as much as Mark Hamill goes on about, you know, that they, they kind of like missed the trick by they brought the band back together but they didn't have a scene with them all together. And mm. it's like, yeah, I do get that. And as an old school fan, I would have loved to have seen, you know, I think I tweeted a couple of images that somebody had photoshopped you know ages ago that there's one of a photo of lando han luke and leia in the falcon of uh, the cockpit of the falcon and then there's another one of luke han and leia at the battle of crate you know all together with luke with his green lightsaber and han's got his gun out and it's you know as much as i would like to have seen those kind of like scenes with them together you know, who's to say that we're not going to get those scenes? Because who's to say that with the technology as it is, they're not going to do a, like another spin-off film that you know fills in the gaps between six and seven, or mm. or something like that. You know, it, it's we're living in a very good time where technology can afford to do that kind of thing. 
Yeah. You know, stuff that we wouldn't have dreamt of, like, you know, like, 10, even 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And we'll get to see these uh, Lando's adventures with Luke searching for the dagger. Uh, and these kind of things might be filled in. Sure, there'll be yeah. uh, there'll, certainly if nothing else, there'll be comics, won't there? And books and uh, comics, and books, spin-off that, media, yeah, yeah, feet uh, parts, yeah, <laughs> rides. Definitely. So, where would the Rise of Skywalker fit um, in the Star Wars set of films for you? I don't. I don't know if I've ever really ranked them. Um, I think for me, the original trilogy are the, uh, are the top three. Yeah. Um, and that is just childhood, growing up with them. Uh, just That's an irreplaceable uh, thing that you just, you just love them uh, kind of unreservedly for, for, for yeah. that. Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't hate the prequel trilogy. Um, but I've enjoyed all three of the sequel trilogy more than all three of the prequel trilogy. So I'd probably put uh, in third place The Force Awakens, uh-huh. then Rise of Skywalker, then The Last Jedi, uh, and then the prequel trilogy. Probably enjoyed the second one best. Then Revenge okay. of the Sith and Phantom Menace last. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, they're in they're all in blocks of three, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that would be my my top nine. How about you? Um, well, I mean, for me, the, the the benchmark will always be the Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that's the um, you know it did the most difficult thing. It continued the story, but it did it in you know a uniquely different way by having all the action kind of like at the front of the film and then had the more interesting character moments then throughout the rest of the film um, second has to be Revenge of the Sith um, I just love the way that George Lucas kind of like tied it all up you know and kind of like gave us this thing that he'd hinted at since the beginning of Star Wars since it first came out this battle between like Darth Vader and Obi-Wan on a volcano planet mm-hmm. uh, and the, you know the way that was executed I thought that was very well done and then probably third it's a tie it has to be either probably A New Hope because it's the one that started it all and it's the kind of film that no matter how many times I see it and I used to watch it every single day on video back when I was a kid you know I can recite the dialogue uh, much to my girlfriend's annoyance, yeah. <laughs> especially when we saw it in concert last year. <laughs> she was literally nudging me, saying, shut up, will you? Shut up. Um, well, it's either A New Hope or Rogue One would probably be in third place. I just loved Rogue One and just how much it uh, felt, uh, you know, dealt with the actual things of being a rebel and that it mm. isn't always squeaky clean. And it felt like a proper gritty war movie version of Star Wars which you'd never really kind of like seen before you know there was less of the adventure but more of the grittiness and it has that killer Vader scene at the end as well Mm. Um, then the rest of them kind of like all kind of you know kind of like fight for middle place after that Um, and then obviously right at the very bottom is the last (laughs) year 
For The Last Jedi. But it's still a Star Wars film, and it's still, well, not even if, you know, I would go through all the films, like, every so often, I'll watch them all in order. Mm. You know, I'm never going to be that kind of person who would miss a film out, because there are still elements of The Last Jedi that I absolutely think are brilliant and do like. You know, I might not, you know, like the overall whole of it or certain things that they did, but, you know, to me, it's still Star Wars. And, you know, um, you know, I, it's, like, it's like Doctor Who. You know, there are tons of doc, bad Doctor Who stories. But, you know, I would never stop watching those bad Doctor Who stories because yeah. even in the bad ones, there is something to enjoy out of every single Doctor Who story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's always a performance or a... Scene or a scene or, or a bit of writing or a bit of direction. There's always something mm. that you go, I like that bit. I, you know, I love that bit. Yeah. That for me is either is, is Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've got to go and see this again, I think. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Like you say, it's, it's so fast-paced. There's so much going on. Um, going to see it again, I'll, I'm bound to spot a ton more stuff in it. Yeah, I, I would certainly recommend it um, because you do notice more things that you probably missed from the first instance and you do actually see that there it isn't as fast paced as what you probably thought when you on that first view and there are those character moments and those slow moments that help you like you know kind of like just you know take a breather and then get ready for the next uh, like action set piece uh, but yeah it's a good film i really enjoyed it yeah it's hard the first time because you like say you've watched the other ones so many times, particularly the original trilogy. Um, when you're a kid and you've got that capacity to watch, like you say, watch something every day, haven't you, and, and never get yeah. sick of it. Um, that you know, although there's there's sort of nine or eleven or whatever now, it still it does still feel like an event. Um, and particularly for the, I guess what we're now dubbing the Skywalker saga, even the first time you see the opening crawl, you think, oh wow, I'm going to see a new opening scroll here. Um, like say the other ones you can virtually uh, recite word for word from the original trilogy um, I like that they've always kept that sort of um, really excitable sort of uh, it's like the Saturday morning matinee adventure thing isn't it uh, it's like the dead speak uh, it's a great great way of opening it it is yeah and it is like you know I think it would have been a lot different had George Lucas, as his original intention was, had he got the rights to Flash Gordon. Mm. You know, I don't. You know, we would have been denied Star Wars, and it's purely because he couldn't get the rights to do his big budget cinema version of Flash Gordon that he had to like come up with his own story. And you know, as much as I like that 1980 Flash Gordon film, it isn't a patch on it. <laughs> Star Wars, not. absolutely not. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing when you you sort of into Star Wars or Doctor or James Bond or anything. It's all those kind of uh, the, the roads untraveled and and the ways that like there's so many ways that these things might not have been made in the first place or, or shut down at some point. I know the um, that documentary we're talking about the the galaxy that Britain built. Uh, you know, the production was nearly closed down at one point because the studio weren't happy and. Yeah, yeah, all these little, uh, little these little things, these parallel universes that are that are poorer for for not having Star Wars or Doctor Who, or whatever. 
Well, I, I think there was a recent interview with uh, Kurt Russell because uh, he famously screen tested for Han Solo. Right. You know, I didn't know. And if you have ever seen the Empire of Dreams two and a half hour documentary on the making of the original trilogy, it shows some of those uh, old screen tests. You know, and it is, you know, bizarre to think that, you know, we could have had Kurt Russell as Han Solo, we could have had Sissy Spacek as Princess Leia, mm. could have had William Cat as Luke Skywalker. It could have been a completely different set of films. And then would that have impacted on the success of it all? You know, mm. you, you just don't know. But uh, I think he commented on an interview that he'd recently seen it on YouTube or something. Uh, he was just astounded that he said astounded at how bad he was. Yeah. <laughs> and he's glad that uh, Harrison Ford got the role. Now that you've said that, he's probably the only other person that I can imagine playing Han Solo. Yeah, because you think about like little uh, Big Trouble in Little Chinatown, uh, and there are some similarities with the character. Um, but well, yeah, Harrison just, Ford, uh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, look at how he plays Snake Plissken and. McCready in uh, Escape from New York and The Thing, and you know, it's there's a few Han Solo traits in there, yeah. probably a bit more cynical uh, than Solo in, in general. But yeah, you know, like you say, you, you could, you know, if you close your eyes and think about it, you probably could see Kurt Russell pulling it off. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that sort of thing, and obviously with Doctor Who, it's it's all the all the almost doctors, isn't it? The people that. that that were almost cast or were cast yeah. and couldn't do it and uh, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's been great discussing this film with you. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Loved it. And uh, we'll uh, speak again soon. We will indeed. May the force be with you. <laughs> and with you. <laughs> thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.